welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. You're listening to This Week in Sports. I'm your host, as always, The Pody. It is Friday, November 11th, 2022. We've got a big show on tap for you today. Like I said, um, it is Friday, November the 11th, one day after MLB free agency started. Uh, we've had a trade. We've had a couple of signings. I will get into all of that. There is, uh, I have updates on the Kyrie Irving situation that's brewing with the Brooklyn Nets and the NBA and the Players Association and all of that. Um, I've got updates on the college football playoff. I've got updates to the NFL season, including our first ever NFL game in Munich, which is in a city in Germany. First ever game in Germany, and it includes the... Tom Brady-led Buccaneers, no shocker there, that he is breaking boundaries or barriers in uh, over in Europe, and they will be facing off against the Seattle Seahawks, the red-hot Seattle Seahawks. That game will be at 9.30 Sunday morning, so make sure you set your alarms to wake up early to watch that game. I've also got breaking news. I ended my six-game losing streak in fantasy football by the skinny skin skin of my teeth, one by two points, but I also put up the second most points in the league this past week, so go figure. Uh, my team has just had terrible luck, and I just happen to play the uh, Priank, who has even worse luck and is in last place. So a win is a win is a win. I will take it any way I can get it because I'm probably going to lose this weekend because uh, I have Joe Mixon on by Joe Mixon, who scored me a whopping, what, five or six touchdowns. I lost track at this point. Just unbelievable. My Jets getting the biggest win of the season. Let's go six and three headed into that bye. Uh, we've got so much going on. Uh, you know, like I said, um, I've been watching. I've been off of work today, uh, yesterday and today. So I was watching a lot of ESPN this morning, this afternoon, as I prepped for this episode. Cool. Great to see Herm Edwards back on ESPN. Um, so that's good. Uh, yeah, previews for the NFL this weekend. Um, if you listened to Through the Ringer uh, last week's episode, we made our picks. We all actually got three points. Um, I got my one and two point picks wrong, but we all nailed that uh, Ravens minus two and a half on Monday Night Football against the Saints. That was an easy one. So I've got a couple more uh, winners, I, I'm thinking this weekend as well that I'll get into in a bit. Um, Josh Allen is banged up. We'll, we'll talk about that. I don't really think we're going to have an answer as of today, but, uh, it looks to be that he's, he's got an elbow issue. He hasn't practiced all week. They're, they're, the bills are trying to take it day by day, hour by hour. It's looking more and more like Case Keenum is going to start there in Buffalo. That's a big game against the 7-1 Minnesota Vikings. The Jets are just a half game back of Buffalo, so this would be huge if the Jets sitting back during their bye week could watch the Bills lose and then see themselves jump into uh, first place. But I don't think that would happen unless um, Miami were to lose, if I'm not mistaken on that one. I think Miami would have to lose because they also are six and three jets have the tiebreaker. Um, but Miami being that they are playing this week, 
let me just double check this. Miami is where's the Dolphins at here? Uh, who are the oh Dolphins are playing at home against the Browns? Yeah, so if the Browns uh, don't beat the Dolphins, the Dolphins will probably jump in at seven and three. They would be tied with Buffalo. Uh, excuse me, in the loss column with the Jets and Buffalo. And they beat Buffalo. They did not beat the Jets, so they would jump in at seven and three, uh, a half game up of both the Jets and the Bills there. So the Jets would have some work to do still to get into first place. But I like the position we're in. It's the toughest division in the NFL right now. Every single team in this division is above 500. No other division can say that. So just incredible. So a lot to talk about, including college football. Didn't even really start there. Uh, we're going to recap the World Series right now and, and get into college football and then and then branch off from there. So without further ado, here we go. All right. This is, by the way, episode 191. So super excited for what we've got on tap for you guys today. And like I said, without further ado, we're going to talk about the World Series. So after the Phillies blew games four and five right at home, it was the first time that two games in a row were won by the same team because they had gone back and forth through the first few games. The Astros headed back home with a three games to two lead. It was obvious this series would end on Saturday. I had no I had no question about it uh, that they were going to win on Saturday. And it was a tough, close, close game. Uh, it was one nothing. Um, for a while, then it was tied up. And with Altuve on first and one out, Zach Wheeler still pitching here in the sixth inning. He's got a really low pitch count. Okay, Altuve hit into a fielder's choice after Maldonado, I believe, got hit by a pitch. So one out, Altuve on first. And Jeremy Pena, who just the gift that keep, keeps on giving for the Houston Astros, he get, he gets a little jam shot, base hit up the middle. It's now first and second. And what does Rob Thompson do with Zach Wheeler sitting on just 70 pitches, 70 pitches through six and a third innings? He pulls him. He wants the lefty-lefty matchup with Alvarado and Alvarez. And I don't know what type of analytics they're looking at because everybody under the sun knows that Alvarez smashes lefties. Just, just crushes them. And... It was no different here. This was your ball game. This was the World Series right here. On a 2-1, Alvarez hits a high drive center field. Veerling's back. This game is turned upside down. Okay, yeah, I mistakenly said it was tied up 1-1 and then he hit that three-run homer. No, it was one nothing in favor of the Phillies. 
And that made it 3-1. I believe they scored an extra run later in the game in like the eighth inning or something like that, tacked on uh, an insurance run there. Just an incredible run by the Astros. And I just cannot, I'm still stunned that they made that move with him sitting at just 70 pitches and not really giving up a lot of hard contact. It, it, just in my opinion, I would have left him in there if it were me. Um, but hindsight is 2020. Uh, it's the second franchise, uh, excuse me, the second World Series win in franchise history and first since the cheating scandal in 2017. I don't necessarily know. A lot of people are saying, oh, this uh, makes up for like 2017, the whole cheating scandal and whatnot. I don't necessarily know if it does. Uh, I'm going to say it does not personally. It, it doesn't lighten that or 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 it doesn't give me reason to believe that there was because these players, these are still the same players. Um, these are still the same players that that um, went to the World Series in 2017. A lot of these players still on the team. So and there was some shadiness going on with Maldonado and this Pujols bat and then Framber Valdez with his with his glove hand and, you know, all sorts of stuff. But they did win, you know, fair and square. Uh, Jeremy Pena, he joins Levon Hernandez as the only rookies to win a championship and World Series MVP. And Dusty Baker, who's won 3,884 regular season games and 97 of them in the playoffs, finally got his ring. I talked a lot of crap about Dusty Baker. I'm not a huge fan of his, but uh, yeah, he finally... Uh, overcomes that, you know, that was the big um, black cloud, if you will, hovering over his career that he could not win a World Series, came close two other times, um, and then he finally gets it done. The 73-year-old manager will actually be back at least for one more year. He got a one-year extension with Houston. So congrats to the Astros. Okay, let's switch things up. We're going to talk a little soccer, and it's not World Cup related just yet although the World Cup kicks off in just 10 days. Uh, let's get to that MLS Cup final. Um, I had anticipated on watching this because I heard I knew it was going to be on over the weekend, LAFC versus Philadelphia, and it was a doozy, man. It was awesome. Um, down 3-2 in the 128th minute, LAFC scored the equalizer to force penalties, and it was none other than Gareth Bale. To Palacios to the byline. Palacios clipping it up. That was a header in the 128th minute by Gareth Bale, who, interestingly enough, um, plays for the Wales national team. He's of great fame in the soccer community. And he uh, has come over to LAFC earlier in the year, didn't really go as planned, hasn't been great for them, but he gets the equalizer in the MLS Cup final and they would go to penalties. And what a story this was. So so bear with me here. Um, in penal During penalties, the LA net um, was being manned by backup goalkeeper John McCarthy. 
McCarthy had to sub in, I believe, an extra time um, after starting goalie Maxime Crepu was carted off with a gruesome injury that also actually came with a red card. Um, and what's wild about this whole thing is McCarthy is a Philly native and he used to play on the Philadelphia Union, who they were obviously now playing in the MLS final. He lost his job to opposing keeper Andre Blake. And then, of course, circle back around MLS Cup final over the weekend. He's now the goalkeeper. During penalty kicks against the guy that he lost his job to and the team that basically got rid of him. And what does he do? He makes two saves during PKs to lead LAFC to the unbelievable win. And naturally, he was named MVP of the match. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And as for Gareth Bale, like I said, he's on the Wales national team. Um, the U.S. men's team is going to get to know them real well because they kick things off in the World Cup against Wales in just 10 days. So it's all coming full circle. Crazy stuff. All right, now let's, we could uh, finally get into the college football stuff. Uh, another wild and wacky weekend or, or, or Saturday. Um, thought we were going to get an amazing matchup between ten, number one Tennessee and number one Georgia. And listen, Tennessee, they wheeled me in. They roped me in, you know, hook, line, and sinker. A few weeks ago, I was saying I'm not ready to anoint them. Uh, you know, I was picking Kentucky against them a few weeks ago. And then after that game, I was like, okay, maybe Tennessee's for real. So then going into this game, I saw it was like seven and a half or eight and a half. And I was like, hmm, this smells like t Tennessee could upset uh, Georgia here. And there's a reason that Georgia is coming off the heels of a national championship and they proved to the world why they are still number one because this game was dominated by Georgia. Absolutely dominated. Hendon Hooker, forget the Heisman. He looked awful in this game. He had no time to throw. Georgia just stifled anything that they tried to do on defense. And yeah, the old adage that defense wins championships, you're damn right because that Georgia defense is fierce they won this eventually, uh, 27 to 13, but it wasn't even that close. In other news, Bama fell in Death Valley to LSU thanks to Brian Kelly's gutsy call to go for two and the win in overtime. This was just mayhem. He's off the field. They just got him off. They had 12 on the field. Here we go. Snap to Daniels. Sprint out. Throw to the right. Caught. Right corner. Yeah, incredible, incredible gutsy call. Um, and LSU gets the one-point win there in overtime against Alabama. Alabama now has two losses before Thanksgiving for the first time since 2010. And they're set to play Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss this weekend or tomorrow. Um, they could possibly lose that game too. Ole Miss is right up there in, in the rankings there. They're, 
this this is not going to be an easy game for Alabama. So uh, strap in. It's going to be a good Saturday. Uh, Clemson hasn't really looked mint all season themselves, but they have just week after week found ways to win, uh, benching their quarterback, right, and then bringing him back in midway through the game. And yeah, until Saturday, things just fell apart. Notre Dame absolutely obliterated, obliterated the Tigers in South Bend. Uh, they had shut them out through three quarters uh, and scored touchdowns via special teams and defense. They went on to win 35-14. to 14. This was such a beatdown that Dabo Sweeney had this to say afterwards. This was a, a really bad day, and, and all the criticism is warranted uh, and, and just should be directed at me, period. So don't direct it at the players. Don't direct it at the staff. Just It's on me. It's my responsibility. And again, in 14 years being the head coach, this is one of the most disappointing days that I've had as a head coach. And I've had some disappointing days, but um, never saw this coming tonight. And uh, again, just all the credit goes to uh, Notre Dame, but you know, we've got to move forward. Yeah, what a shocker that was. I mean, like I said, they haven't been great all season, but nobody expected them to get drubbed 35 to 14. Um, so we're shrinking here. The list is shrinking of unbeaten teams for sure. Um, SMU and Houston, they set the scoring record. I actually, I want to say I got like an alert from ESPN or something that uh, that Tanner Mordecai, the uh, SMU quarterback, had like some ridiculous number of touchdowns. It was like eight touchdowns or something at halftime or something or something like that. So I tune into this game. I'm texting my dad back and forth and I'm like, I literally texted him. They're going to set a scoring record. And I didn't actually know that they set the scoring record because there wasn't too much. There wasn't that much more scoring in the second half, but no, the two combined for 140 points, which is an FBS record in a regular, uh, excuse me, in a regulation game, SMU would prevail 77, 63, uh, what's crazy is in the final minutes, Houston threw a pick in the end zone. It could have cut the lead to 77 to 70. They were actually driving with like two or three minutes left, and they were moving the ball pretty easily. They could have definitely scored, got it to 77-70, and then maybe onside kick and see what happens. But just unbelievable. Like I said, SMU corner, uh, quarterback Tanner Mordecai, uh, he wound up with 10 total touchdowns, nine passing, and one rushing. And both teams combined for just one punt. Oh, my God. Yeah, crazy stuff. All right, back to the unbeaten teams. You had number two, Ohio State, number five, Michigan, and number seven, TCU, all winning, joining Georgia as the remaining undefeated teams. My alma mater, Rutgers, was actually giving Michigan a tough go of things early and led 17 to 14 at the half. but. As great a first half as they had, they turned back around into Rutgers in the second half, and it was, I had to turn away and close my eyes and turn the game off. It was so bad. In a in the blink of an eye, Rutgers got outscored 38 to nothing in the second half and lost. Just, it was just gut-wrenching and just hard, hard to watch. It just, I watch Rutgers, and then I watch these other teams in Power 5 conferences, and I just wonder how we are going to turn this thing around because we are so, so, so bad and so outmatched every single game. And it's always 
at the quarterback position, no matter who we have out there. Just brutal. So we had the latest CFP rankings come out on Tuesday, and here's where things stand. Here's your top 10. You have Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, and TCU. Those are your four unbeatens. Tennessee drops from one to five. They're not out of it just yet. Oregon right there at six. LSU at seven. USC is at eight. Bama nine. Clemson at 10. Bama is probably the only team of this group that is not going to have a chance at getting into that CFP with those two losses. I It would be very difficult for them to get back into that CFP. So something to keep an eye out for. All right, let's talk about the Brooklyn Nets and Kyrie Irving, this whole ordeal that's still going on. Uh, so since Kyrie Irving apologized on Instagram for promoting the anti-Semitic documentary from Hebrews to Negroes, Wake Up Black America, the Nets have highlighted six action items, including sensitivity training and meeting with Jewish community leaders in Brooklyn that it needs to see before reinstating the guard from his minimum five-game suspension. So the fifth game, I believe, would be tonight. I'm hearing now that he is probably not going to be back on this road trip for Sunday's game against the Lakers or Tuesday's game against the Kings. And it has come out today that, uh, well, in recent days, Kyrie has met with the Nets. Uh, he met with Joe Sy, uh recently, who sat down with him and his family. He met with Adam Silver, uh, who said they made strides. And the NBA Players Association, on several occasions, in a statement, the NBA Players Association said Kyrie's rights and the rights of all future NBA players have been protected at every turn. Many have come out in recent days stating that the terms the Nets handed down on Kyrie were a bit over the top. Jalen Brown, the vice president of the Players Association, said that he believes the union will appeal the suspension because a lot of the players expressed discomfort with the with the terms handed down by the team. Now, um, this was breaking news a little bit ago. I saw on ESPN they are in. Uh, they are inching closer and closer to a Kyrie Irving return. So hopefully that is a good thing for the Nets. I know people are saying, well, the Nets have played so good without Kyrie the last three games. Yes, that's true, but it's still Kyrie Irving. You have a better chance to win with him on the court than you do without him. I'm sorry. I don't care. I'm a Nets fan, and I, I'm telling you this. It's been four games. People want to throw him to the Wolves and say, get rid of him now. It's four games. They're getting a bump because of Steve Nash being fired and Jacques Vaughn being hired as the coach now. It, it just relax, as Aaron Rodgers loves to say, R-E-L-A-X, relax. So I can't wait to see Kyrie Irving get back on the court. We can move past this because he was playing at an elite level before his suspension. I know the the most recent game was his wor one of the worst of his career, but before that, just him and KD have been balling out. So nonsense. And speaking of Aaron Rodgers, it's a good segue into our week nine recap. Aaron Rodgers will start it off with the uh, Detroit Lions at home against the Green Bay Packers. I was all over the Lions in this one. Unfortunately, I didn't bet it, um, but me and Nick were all over the Lions. They were at home, underdogs coming off five straight losses in a row. They were getting a little healthier. Yes, they traded TJ Hawkinson, but they got DeAndre Swift back. 
uh, Amon Ross St. Brown looking good, and they end up beating Aaron Rodgers, forcing three inexcusable Aaron Rodgers interceptions. I believe two of them were in the, the end zone. Just just crazy, crazy, crazy. Uh, the most he's ever thrown in the game is three now. Um, I don't know if he's done that one other time or this was the first time, but either way, just not good. It was a it was a tough game to watch. 15 to eight loss for Green Bay. They had injuries left, right, and center. Uh, it's just been really, really tough for them. They've lost now four in a row, and it's not looking like it's going to get any better as they face Dallas this week. Meanwhile, you have Geno Smith continuing to play like an MVP as the Seahawks won their fourth straight game in Arizona. I actually picked the Cardinals this time. I fell for it. I just one of those guys that keeps doubting Geno and keeps doubting this Seahawks team, and they got it done yet again. But with all these upsets lingering all season long, there was no greater upset than Sunday's game between the Jets and the Bills in which my Jets upset the Buffalo Bills 20 to 17. I have to admit, I'll be the first one to admit, I came into this game after watching that game against the Patriots a week prior saying, this is it. The season is over. We lost James Robinson. Uh, excuse me. We lost Brees Hall. We lost AVT, Elijah Vera Tucker and Corey Davis now out. And it's over. I said, we're going to lose this game now. That's two in a row. We're going to be five and four headed to the bye. The season is over. And we're just going to lose, lose, lose after that. And this Jets team came out and it looked bad early. Josh Allen has two rushing touchdowns. The Bills go up 14 to three. But what do the Jets do? They fight back, fight back, fight back. Something they've been doing all season. They go from 14 to three. They end up taking a 17-14 lead. The Bills came back to tie it. And then the Jets, inside their own 10-yard line, went on the drive of their lives. And Zach Wilt, they just ran it, ran it, ran it down the Bills' throats. James Robinson was huge on this drive. And Zach Wilson, on about a third and five or so, pretty much with the game on the line, he throws a slant route to none other than Denzel Mims, who was a cast-off, a write-off, doesn't dress for half the games early in this season, didn't dress for more than half the games last year, their 2020 second-round pick, who has been a, a, a pariah, essentially, on this team, can't get on the field, and what does he do? But he snags the slant, catches it for the first down, the Jets kick the go-ahead field goal, and kick off to Josh Allen, giving him the ball with just under a minute to go, and no timeouts, and on a third and long, this happens. Second catch of the day for Davis, a minute 15 to go. Allen, hit as he throws, the ball is free! Going back to get it, Ryan Bates, Bryce Huff. And Josh Allen was clearly in some pain and discomfort with his elbow. He actually ends up throwing the ball about 70 yards on fourth and 21. Um, but Sauce Gardner knocks it down, defends it perfectly. The Jets end up winning. It is Robert Sala's signature win in, in just his second year with the Jets. And afterwards, we now know Josh Allen is dealing with a UCL um slash a UCL injury slash nerve 
um, issue. He, he's got some ner- nerve stuff going on there. I believe this is something similar to what happened with um, Mike White of the Jets last year on the, in that Thursday night game against the Colts. He got knocked out of the game, and it was just this numbness in his hand, having issues with the nerves and gripping the football. Listen, this is a UCL issue. UCL, UCL, if you don't know, it's a common baseball injury, which requires Tommy John surgery if it's bad enough. And, you know, he's the quarterback. He throws the ball. It's not like in Major League Baseball where they could throw it 100 times a game. In football, you could throw like 50 times a game uh, or less on average, depending. But the Bills are monitoring this day by day. It's not looking good for Josh Allen to play this week. I don't know long term what this means for the injury. Nobody has said it's like season ending. They've really been playing it close to the vest so far. Um, But like I said, they've got Minnesota coming in and Minnesota 7 and 1, so this could be an interesting game. The line has dropped drastically from like 8 and a half or something down to like 3 and a half. It's looking like Case Keenum is going to start for the Bills. Case Keenum was thrown a handful of passes this season. Uh we know what Case Keenum is though, obviously. Um Case Keenum used to play for Minnesota. He was a competent veteran quarterback that stepped in and started and and led them on the Minneapolis miracle and all this good stuff. So uh, we'll see. Keep an eye on that for Sunday because I won't have an answer by the end of this show whether or not Josh Allen's playing or not. He has not practiced, though, all week. Okay, uh, the Bucks and the Rams, obvious playoff foes from last year. The Rams winning a Super Bowl. They have looked anything but playoff contenders all year, and they met on Sunday. The Rams, as expected, this game was going as expected, just very sloppy, low scoring, pretty boring. And the Rams were actually leading most of the game. The Bucs were three-point favorites going in. Many picked the Bucs to win this game. Uh, But like he's done his whole career, TB12, Tom Brady, the GOAT, led a game-winning drive hitting rookie tight end Cade Otten for the game-winning touchdown. And, uh, yeah, the Bucks now are 4-5, and five, and I believe the Rams dropped to 4-6 and six, um, or 3-6, and six, uh, one, one or the other. Uh, Brady has now surpassed 100,000 passing yards all-time, number one, and he had to throw the ball 58 times in this one to get a win. And who knows if this gives them a little boost, but they are now headed to Munich, Germany, where they will be three-point favorites against the Seattle Seahawks, which I'm a bit surprised by. I don't think that the Seahawks should um, should be underdogs in this game. I think they should actually be favorites, and I would probably lean towards betting the Seahawks for this 9:30 game, so keep an eye on that. Okay, the Chiefs, they narrowly escaped disaster on Sunday night football, staving off the Titans and Malik Willis, 20-17. to 17. This one went to overtime. Mahomes was throwing the ball for yards, 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 yet for most of this game, they couldn't even eclipse 10 points. They were down 17-9 to nine late when Patrick Mahomes ran it in with his legs for a touchdown. They then needed a two-point conversion to tie the game. There were penalties on, I think, three straight two-point attempts, or at least two, before um, Mahomes ran it in with his legs yet again to tie this game. They would go to overtime, and in overtime, he hit Kelsey three times, driving the Chiefs down deep into Titans territory to kick the game-winning field goal. 
And th- thank God this game went to OT because I don't win fantasy if Patrick Mahomes doesn't go to OT and throw the ball to Kelsey because Kelsey was able to eclipse 100 yards and get me a bonus, um, which helped me win my matchup by two points. So thank you for that. All right, I want to talk about the Raiders for a second. They busted my two-team parlay. I bet the Raiders and Chargers to cover a two-and-a-half-point spread. How hard is that? It was hard for the Chargers. They barely did it. They won the game by exactly three. But the Raiders, they were up 17-0. I'm feeling good about myself. Everything's looking good. And yet, somehow, someway, they lost. I just can't understand how this team is so bad. You ready for this stat? In the team's first 61 years, they had blown just five 17-plus point leads. They've now done it three times alone this season. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And that's a good segue into this topic, the Indianapolis Colts, because they will, the uh, Colts will be playing in Vegas against the Raiders this weekend. Uh, the Colts finally fired Frank Reich, someone I was not a fan of. A few years ago, when he was with the Colts, they were in overtime. They had a fourth down in their own territory, and he went for it saying, and they lost the game saying, I'm not playing for a tie. Well, guess what, Frank Reich? Ties are equal or better than losses, okay? They are, plain and simply. And I I was ticked off by that decision because he lost his team the game, and you rather tie than lose, okay? Um, It's ridiculous that we have ties in the NFL in overtime, but uh, that needs to be that needs to change. That's why we need to go to a college style overtime period where you just get the ball to 25 and you score and score and score back and forth until someone doesn't score. It's easy peasy. Um, and I think that's somewhere we need to we need to something we need to look at if we're the NFL. But anyway, the Colts fired Frank Reich. Finally, owner Jim Ursay then turns heads by naming ESPN analyst Jeff Saturday interim head coach. Jeff Saturday, literally plucked out of the ESPN studio, has never coached in college or the pros. The only coaching experience he has is three years of coaching at Hebron Christian Academy, a high school in Georgia. But I'll tell you what, man, Jeff Saturday is a Colts legend. He played 14 years there, you know, went to the playoffs a bunch, a whole bunch of times. He did not shy away when talking to the media at all. Let me load up this clip for you guys. Here's the deal. Everybody talks about my, I'm completely comfortable in who I am as a man, bro. I know I can lead men. I know I know the game of football and I'm passionate about it. I have no fear about, are you as qualified as somebody else, bro? I spent 14 years in a locker room. I went to playoffs 12 times. I had, I got five dudes in the Hall of Fame that play with it. You don't think I've seen greatness? You don't think I've seen how people prepare, how they coach, how they GM, how they work? I mean, won Super Bowls, been to two, like, Here's the deal, man. None of us are promised a good job. I may be terrible at this. And after eight games, I'll say, God bless you. I am no good. I may be really good at it. I got no idea, but I dang sure ain't going to back down. I can tell you that. Wow. Uh, That sounds like a guy that you want to go to war with, a guy that is going to give maximum effort that, um, you know, isn't going to be outworked by anybody. But on the flip side, What's going on here with the Colts? 
This came out of nowhere. Not only that, but Ursay fired both coordinators. Um, how do you come in off the street, basically, with zero experience in Jeff Saturday and get these other coaches to believe in you, get these players to believe in you? Um, and as soon as Jeff Saturday got hired, his immediate first job was he had to find somebody to call the plays. He had to find himself an offensive coordinator. So naturally, he looked within on the, the coaching staff and um, he he decided to to uh, select pass game specialist slash assistant quarterbacks coach Parks Frazier, who has never called plays in the NFL. That is go that is going to be who handles the play sheet this Sunday against the Raiders. Oh, and by the way, Frazier is 30 years old, my age, and was just a few se short seasons ago a quality control coach on offense. And yes, Sam Ellinger will once again be the starting quarterback. I mean, why don't we just name Matt Ryan the offensive coordinator for this game? I mean, seriously, what are the, are the Colts tanking? Asked Jim Irsay. He says no. And then at this weird press conference, he says, oh, you know, he's glad he doesn't have, he lacks the experience because these coaches nowadays have gotten too analytical and whatnot, which granted, a lot of people are knocking him for that. I will go as far as to say I understand where he's coming from because I do agree that all the analytics play too much into this, and I think that was a direct shot at Frank Reich especially, who constantly would go for it on fourth downs um, when just, uh, listen, I'm all for going on fourth down, but, and my dad laughs at me because there's times where I say I would never, I would never punt. I would always go for it on fourth down. And then when I'm yelling at the TV, when they're going for it on fourth down, he's like, why are you yelling? You always say that you should go for it on fourth down. There's a difference between going for it on fourth down with a great play call and then trying to run up a stacked middle that is going that has no chance of converting a fourth and one or fourth and inches or whatever it is, fourth and two. I am passing out of shotgun, running back, standing to my right every single time. Maybe I bring a tight end into the backfield. Maybe I have two running backs in the backfield, but I am giving the illusion of a run-pass option. So you have not an RPO per se, but it gives the illusion that you could still hand it off out of shotgun and hand it to your running back you can go play action out of shotgun. You can roll out out of shotgun. I'm, there's so many different options. I would never go under center unless on a fourth and one or in, fourth and inches, unless I had Tom Brady as my quarterback because he's the greatest quarterback sneaker of all time. Okay, that's the only time I'd be under center. I just laugh. And maybe once in a while, if I'm feeling frisky, go with a nice end around if I've got a speedster uh you know, wide out or running back that I could just pull and go, bam, end around, and they don't even know what 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 hit them. But most of the time, no, at a shotgun. So that's what I what I'm talking about there. So yeah, just interesting. Um, he claims they're not tanking, but everybody seems to think, are they trying to tank here for a quarterback? It's just very very odd. Um, and then you had somebody that played in this league, a former player in uh, Browns left tackle Joe Thomas, who went absolutely off. When discussing the hiring of just Saturday, he said Ursay hired his drinking buddy and that he thought it was a joke when he heard about the hire. This is, there's about a three minute long clip uh, of Joe Thomas talking on the NFL Network, just going ballistic about this. Um, but here is really the big takeaway. Take a listen th to this part. It really stood out to me. It was the most egregious thing I can ever remember happening in the NFL. 
And I went one in 31 my last two years <laughs> in the NFL. Okay, listen to that just one more time. It was the most egregious thing I can ever remember happening in the NFL. And I went one in 31 my last two years <laughs> in the NFL. Joe Thomas said that this is the most egregious thing he's ever seen in the NFL. I mean, wow. Wow. And he basically, he, he was saying uh, that, that um, Saturday should take blame too, because he took the job um, at just, it, yeah, this is going to be really interesting. And now Saturday gets to play the Raiders in Vegas, a team that he just got finished bashing um, over and over again. He's been bashing them really for the past few weeks on ESPN. So this is going to be really, really interesting. This could be really, really great. And I am rooting for Jeff Saturday because he is a very likable guy, uh, Colts ring of honor. Like they love him there in Indianapolis. So I kind of get where Ursay is coming from. But man, the second this doesn't work out, it's going to blow up in their faces and they are going to be the laughing stock. But uh, no, Saturday, I I'm, I'm a huge fan. I hope it works out for him. I really do. If this is something he's trying to do in terms of getting into coaching, um, but it has the makings of an absolute dumpster fire. So something to keep an eye on for Sunday. I will definitely be checking that game out. All right, let's switch things up, talk a little baseball. The Mets signed closer Edwin Diaz to a incredible five-year, $102 million contract, which is a new record for a reliever. Listen, there's a reason relief pitchers don't usually make this kind of money, and the Mets are ignoring history. This is a bad move, in my opinion, that will bite them in the butt in the long run. However, I understand the nature of the sport and how these contracts have evolved and the crazy numbers and, and prices that are being driven um, in these markets. So I do understand where the Mets are coming from. I just think it's unfortunate, and I don't think that Diaz is going to pay off in the long haul, and this contract is going to be an albatross for them. All right, we'll get back to baseball in a second, but the Lakers are now 2-9, and nine, and LeBron unfortunately left Wednesday night's game with a groin injury. I checked this morning. He was officially downgraded to out for tonight's game with a left adductor strain. Um, and speaking of LeBron, he did tweet last night about, about Kyrie Irving, and he did say that he believes Kyrie should be allowed to play again after apologizing, though James did maintain that what Kyrie posted caused harm to a lot of people. So it does look like most of the players are on Kyrie Irving's side and everybody wants to just move past this and get back to the game of basketball. So we'll see what happens in the coming days. Um, and speaking of the Nets, I have some news not Kyrie related. They were back in the news again, um, this time to announce that interim coach Jacques Vaughn would be the permanent head coach going forward. I think he got a uh, the blessing through the 2023-24 season. So he almost got like a permanent coach with a contract extension through next season. Uh, here's what happened. Ime Udoka was rumored to be coming to the Nets, right? All of a sudden, this Kyrie Irving stuff happened, and they saw the backlash that that had. They saw the backlash of the Ime Udoka rumors, and they backed away, plain and simply. So all this, all this means for Ime Udoka is that, well, he's still the Celtics problem as of now. 
And good kudos to, to Jacques Vaughn because he's been with the Nets since 2016. I know he gets a lot of flack because his head coaching record is just abysmal. Uh, but that was back with the with the um you know, with his magic days, but he's been with the Nets since 2016. And you could tell he's always had a great relationship with the players. He was their interim coach in the bubble when they fired Kenny Atkinson and the Nets did play tough and play hard and play for him. Um, And it definitely showed Wednesday. And I said to my dad, this was a game to bet the Nets against the Knicks because they just made just this news a couple hours prior with Jacques Vaughn being permanent coach. I knew the Nets would come out and demolish the Knicks. I didn't think it would be this bad. They beat the Knicks 112 to 85. And Ben Simmons is now a whopping 15 and 0 against the Knicks in his career. Oh, my God. Which is even more incredible when you think about the fact that He's played for Philadelphia and now the Nets, and they're in the same division as the Knicks. So 15-0, and incredible. All right, let's talk about last night's awful, awful Thursday night football game between two NFC South foes. A couple week, Just a couple weeks ago, we saw the Carolina Panthers and DJ Moore get that crazy Hail Mary uh, play at 60-yard bomb to tie it. They missed the extra point, lost in overtime because of the, you know, um, unsportsmanlike penalty with DJ Moore taking off his helmet. Last night was revenge for the Carolina Panthers. The Falcons had a chance to maintain a little bit of a lead in, in, in that division over the Bucs, and they squandered it big time. They came in just the second game all season. They were favored, two and a half point favorites. They've now lost both games when favored. The Panthers just looked like they wanted it more and played harder. And this did look like a revenge game to them. Uh, Deontay Foreman was a beast. He ran for 130 yards on 31 carries and a touchdown, uh, but it was super rainy. It, it, you know, uh, Panthers ended up winning this one 25 to 15, um, but it really wasn't that close. Drake London scored a touchdown in this game kind of late. Um, they really, the Falcons were not in it most of the game. They're just one of those teams I'm still fu- having a hard time figuring out. Uh, just so weird. And no team in that division is above 500. So let's hope that the Bucks can win on Sunday maybe and get to 500 at least. Just ridiculous. All right, get back to MLB free agency. So we had our first trade of free agency. The Rangers made a trade uh, with the Braves for starter Jake Odorizzi. Uh, Clayton Kershaw is back with the Dodgers on a one-year deal, making this his 15th with the team. He was awesome, I will say, in 2022. Age has not um, hindered his his capabilities at all. He pitched to a 2.28 ERA in 126 in the third innings with 137 strikeouts in 22 starts. Uh, The Padres and their setup man, Robert Suarez, agreed to a five-year deal worth $46 million. Again, Suarez was great this season and in the playoffs for this year's National League runner-up Padres. Um, And with Josh Hader eligible for free agency next year, Suarez is your Padres closer for now. Here's an interesting one. This kind of broke earlier today. Astros... GM James Click, hot off winning that World Series uh, less than a week ago, is now out as general manager. Wow. Uh, Click declined a one-year extension and clearly wasn't happy that he was offered just a one-year deal. Uh, remember, manager Dusty Baker was offered the same one-year deal, which he happened to accept. Uh, Click 44 and Crane spent the week negotiating Jim Crane, the um, 
owner of the Astros, spent the week negotiating on a contract that ultimately did not come to fruition, leaving the makeup of the Astros baseball operations department in doubt. And I just have a recent tweet from Jeff Passan saying that the Houston Astros also fired assistant general manager Scott Powers. Powers was a former R&D executive with the Dodgers who was brought in as an assistant GM by James Click in January. Now Click and Powers are gone from the World Series champions on the same day. This is just incredible. Um, I don't understand it. I, I, I did hear rumors that Click and um, Jim Crane did not get along even throughout the playoffs. They, they were bickering and things were not going good, but I don't remember this ever happening. You win a World Series and the owner is only offering you a one-year extension? Like, wow, just incredible. Um, and what Click has done and the way he's turned this team around ever since the 2017 scandal, uh, he deserves credit. Um, I don't know if he'll be out of a job anytime soon. You know, shit, uh, the Yankees should friggin' fire Brian Cashman right now on the spot and hire this guy. I mean, wow, it's unbelievable. So let's see, let's play a game and let's see how long it is before this guy has a new job. Going to be interesting. Uh, so, yeah, earlier I spoke about how bad the Raiders have been. Uh, it, it's just one thing after another with this team. They recently waived safety Jonathan Abram, who I believe was a former first-round pick or second-round pick. Um, he was then picked up by the Packers. I don't know if he's going to really help them there. They're just so decimated um, with injuries. And now it came out today or yesterday, whenever this came out, that 28-year-old linebacker Blake Martinez has decided to retire midway through the season. Now, Martinez, I don't think has been here all season. I think he uh, came to the Raiders like a month ago, but this is just four days after he led the team with 11 tackles in their loss against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, what is going on in Vegas? And listen, should they lose this, this game at home to Jeff Saturday and the Colts with a 30-year-old neophyte offensive coordinator calling the plays? This would be an absolute new low for a team that has already had several of them this this season. I mean, if you're Josh McDaniels, I don't know if you can recover. I mean, wow. Wow, wow, wow. And this was a team that made the playoffs a season ago. It's just absolutely incredible. Incredible. Uh, just real quick, Adam Schefter tweeting 24 minutes ago, Lions ruled out wide receiver Josh Reynolds for Sunday's game versus Chicago, and they did not give an injury designation to DeAndre Swift, which I believe means that he is a full go now and he has no injuries whatsoever. Um, that's pretty much all I've got. Let's get to our final segment, as always, on this date in sports. November 11th, 1990, playing in tribute to his fallen father, Derek Thomas of the Kansas City Chiefs, sets a record by recording seven sacks against the Seattle Seahawks at Arrowhead Stadium. However, the sack that Thomas failed to get decided the game. So in the final seconds, Dave Krieg escaped an eighth sack and found Paul Scancy in the end zone as time expired to give Seattle a 17-16 win. Wowzer. Um, that was two years before I was even born, so crazy, right? 
Okay, let's get to uh, big time stuff this weekend. What to watch? Because it is pouring out. There's a hurricane, you know, inbound. It's all types of screwed up. Uh, so you ain't going outside this weekend. So here you go. You've got, like I said, Seahawks at Bucks. This game is in Munich, Germany, 9.30 a.m. You've got, uh, I'll get to the rest of the slate in a second. You've got TCU, number four TCU at number 18, Texas. That's on ABC 7.30 tomorrow night. Can't wait for that game. I've been a huge fan of TCU this year, uh, but that could be a, one of those games that could be a tough game. Uh, it's at Tennessee, uh, excuse me, at Texas. Uh, look out for an upset there. Could we have another unbeaten team go down? Uh, NBA weekend, we've got tonight, we've got the Nuggets at the Cavs. Uh, that's NBA TV at 7. You've got, uh, excuse me, Nuggets at Celtics. I was reading the next line here. Uh, that would be the Cavs at the Warriors. That's on NBA League Pass at 10. Tomorrow night, you've got the Nets at Clippers. That's on League Pass at 4 p.m. Uh, Saturday as well, you've got the Blazers at the Mavs, 8.30. Sunday, you've got the Jazz at Sixers at 7.30. And the Nets at Lakers on NBA TV at 9.30 on Sunday. And then, of course, You've got tomorrow night UFC 281, if that's your thing, Adesanya versus Pereira. Uh, that's at starting at 7 p.m., the pay-per-view. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Uh, let me get to some other notable NFL games this weekend. Give me a second to pull this up. You've got uh, the Ravens, by the way, the Bengals, and the Patriots, as well as the Jets, all on by this week. Just real quick, I want to uh, recap. Uh, last week, the Bengals beat the Panthers 42-21. to Joe Mixon had five total touchdowns. Um, I was unsure if it was five or six. It was five touchdowns. He had 60 fantasy points for my fantasy team and helped me to a huge win, thank God. Um, the Lions beat the Packers 15-9. to I think I said it was 15-8. to uh, the Patriots beat the Colts 26-3. The Vikings outlasted the Commanders 20-17. to um, Let's see. The Ravens beat the Saints 27-13. to That was pretty easy. The Dolphins outlasted the Bears 35-32. Justin Fields ran for 150 yards in this game. Just incredible. Chargers are just a mess. They barely got past the Falcons, but a win is a win. They are now 5-3, surprisingly. Um, and the Eagles, of course, they won 29-17 on the Thursday night game. Um, and my Jets won 20-17. Okay, uh, some big games this weekend. You've got the Vikings and Bills. Again, that's at 1 o'clock. Keep an eye out to see if Josh Allen plays in this game or not. The line is down to 3.5. The second they announce Allen is out, this line is going to jump. So keep an eye out for that. You've got the Lions and Bears. Um, you've got the Titans and the Broncos coming off a bye. This is an interesting spot for the Broncos. They have the bye. Titans um, coming off a Sunday night matchup with the Chiefs. This could be a tough go for the Titans. I'm actually interested to see if this Broncos team um, does anything coming off that win in London. The Chiefs hosting the Jaguars, 9.5-point spread. I think that's a lock. You have the Dolphins, 3.5-point favorites against the Browns. At home, you have the Giants coming off a bye. They're four-and-a-half-point favorites over the Texans. It seems slightly high, um, but give me the Giants here in this one. Uh, the Texans are obviously one and six. They're awful. Uh, you have the Saints at home. Uh, excuse me, the Steelers at home. 
against the Saints. Saints are one and a half point underdogs, but they're coming off a Monday night short week where they just got blown out by the Ravens. The Steelers are coming off a bye. I think this could be your lock of the week, honestly. One and a half point uh, spread only uh, coming off a bye. I love me some Steelers in this game. Uh, then you have the Raiders. This is a 4.05 p.m. start hosting the Indianapolis Colts. This this game, like, I cannot wait. Um, Red Zone has to show this game for the majority of the time. I just can't wait. Jeff sat just everything that got, you know, the storylines of this game, ridiculous. You have the Packers hosting the Cowboys. Cowboys coming off a bye um, themselves. This is Cowboys four and a half point favorites in Lambeau. But again, this is scary because Rodgers is coming off four straight losses. Um, this is the worst team he's had in his career right now at this point, um, except when he was, you know, his first year at quarterback. But uh, uh, I'm not going to shy away. I'm th- I'm plugging and playing my Dallas Cowboy vaunted defense. Give me Micah Parsons. Uh, give me Diggs and those boys and Van Der Esch and, and just everybody. Um, on that D line. I can't wait for them to feast on the Packers. I like the pack. Uh, I like the Cowboys here with the points at four and a half. Uh, you've got the Rams hosting the Cardinals. Rams are three and five. Cardinals are three and six. Both of these teams desperate for a win. Rams at home. I'll take them with the three. Uh, you've got the 49ers minus seven over the Chargers. Chargers are bad. Um, but seven is a lot because the 49ers are going to try to run the ball and run the ball and run the ball. And the Chargers really are decimated everywhere. Uh, I just don't think they'll be able to score enough to win by double digits, essentially. So I'll take the Chargers with the points. And then you've got Monday night. That's the Sunday night game. And Monday night, you've got the Eagles hosting the Commanders. 8-0 Eagles are 11-point favorites. Again, uh, that's too high for me. It's a division game. Um, I like Heineke. He's three and one now as a starter this year through a late pick, um, tough interception against Minnesota. They should have won that game, but, uh, yeah, give me the commanders plus 11 here. Okay. We are not even an hour in yet. This is good. Oh, I want to give a shout out to my New Jersey devils. I'm not a big hockey guy, but I have been watching the devils lately. The other night, uh, they had won six in a row and my brother texted me that there was nothing on cause it was election night. And he's like, I know nothing about hockey, so I'm going to bet the the Islanders to beat the Rangers. Um, and I said, man, you should have bet the Devils. They've won like six in a row. He texts me back saying, oh, they're losing one nothing already. So I texted him back. Oh, this is a good time to live bet them. And then he sends me back a screenshot of his bet slip. He bet 50 bucks live on the Nets, uh, on the uh, Devils at plus 150. Immediately, they scored to tie the game. And I'm like, oh, man, they just scored. But they pulled that goal back. So it was still one nothing. Eventually, they tied it. Then it was 2-2. Devils take a 3-2 lead and would eventually win their seventh in a row. So he won that money. The dummy, though, because he doesn't know enough about hockey, panicked and cashed out his Islanders bet when they were down 3-1. to Of course, Islanders come back to win 4-3. So he was, uh, you know kicking himself for that one there. Uh, I want to talk some NCAA football, get you some other top 25 matchups. USC 8-1, and one, they're playing Colorado tonight. The spread in this game is 34 and a half. Wow. Um, I, yeah, I can't, I cannot bet that. That's a high spread. I don't know. I know Colorado's 1-8. and eight. This is a weird Friday night game. I just can't do it. 
Ohio State, number two, Ohio State is playing Indiana. They are favored by 40 and a half. The over-under is 60 and a half. I love the over-under in this one. Um, I love the over of 60 and a half there. Uh, let's see. You got Tennessee. They're playing uh, Missouri at home. Uh, number seven, LSU. They're coming off a big win against Bama. Could this be a letdown on the road against Arkansas? LSU's just three and a half point favorites. I love me some Arkansas with that half point hook at three and a half. Give me the hogs. Uh, Clemson, they're looking to see if they can bounce back against six and three Louisville. They're at home. They're seven point favorites. Michigan is taking on a bad Nebraska team. They're 30 and a half point favorites. Um, you got again, number nine, Alabama versus 11, Mississippi, Ole Miss. That game's at three 30. I'm looking for an Ole Miss upset here. The spread is 11 and a half. That's really high. Give me Ole Miss. Although this could be a classic, um, Nick Saban, just whooping into his players and getting them extremely ready for this game coming off that loss to LSU. So something to keep an eye out for. Uh, you've got number 17, Tulane facing number 22, UCF at home. Tulane, one and a half point favorites. I like them there. Number six, Oregon. They're, they they want to get into that CFP. They're going to have to continue to win. They play number 25, Washington, tomorrow at seven. They are 13 point favorites. Number one, Georgia taking on Six and three Mississippi State. That game tomorrow at seven. Uh, Mississippi State is at home. Georgia, though, favored by 16 and a half. Eight and one North Carolina. They've been a quiet eight and one. They're sitting at 15. Uh, they're sitting ranked 15th in the country. They're taking on a very good Wake Forest team who's having a bit of a disappointing go. They are six and three, and Wake Forest is outright favored here by four and a half over North Carolina. So that's an interesting one. And then like I highlighted before, number 18, Texas at home, they are favored by seven over TCU. And I hate to do this, but sorry, Longhorns fans, seven is too much. You've lost three games in a row. TCU has yet to lose a game. You're favored by seven. No shot. Uh, you could win this game outright. No, uh, no question about it, but seven to be, you should not be favored. I, I'm sorry. Um, and then you've got, uh, UCLA They're they're tomorrow at 10 30. They're lurking number 12 team in the country with, uh, one loss. They're eight and one right now. And they're taking on a three and six Arizona team and they're favored by 20. So that's your, uh, NFL and college football slate. I gave you some of my picks check in and listen to TTR. That's through the ringer tomorrow. Uh, we will be doing that episode sometime and posting it, uh, before the NFL games on Sunday. So with that being said, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was episode 191 of This Week in Sports. I'm going to go post-produce this episode, get it published for you guys, and then I got to go make some dinner. So I'm the Pody, signing off. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Stay well, stay safe, and I'll catch you next week.